0: Welcome to Lou Palumbo's Between the Lines. Problem solving for our future. Lou. Common sense, logic, and reasoning. Lou. The man that can't stand hate and animus. Lou. Stimulating the thought process of America. Lou. Where being right is not political, it's factual. Lou. Providing real solutions in real time. And now,
1: here's your host, Lou Palumbo. No shortage of issues. Today's no different than yesterday. Um, Wrong trajectory for the country. We need to change its path of travel. We need to start to change the discussions that we're having, in particular on air with a lot of these 24-hour news cycles. They're just verbally assaulting and slaughtering each other, which is just, you know, creating the lines more definitively. Um, Country's too divided and unstable. Long story short, we're here because we're concerned about what this is going to translate to as far as the future of our children go and the future of this country in general. You know, there are a lot of young people in it. You don't have to be 8, 10, 12, 15, 16, or 18 to be young. Be 30, 40 years old, 50 years old, you're young in America today. If you're 50 years old, you could look, to, look forward to another 40 years of this lunacy that we're living that is counterproductive. I do want to remind everyone that we want to on a weekly basis, excuse me, speak to Phantom Rescue, which was created um, uh, quite some time ago, the purpose of which is to identify the sex trafficking activities in the country and address them accordingly. Um... I do want to, we're going to speak, we're going to go back to Phantom Rescue uh, in a bit, but uh, I do want to just remind everyone that we have sponsors. We're very fortunate. Buzzsprout, Instacart, Buzzsprout we actually use for this podcast. I would encourage you to take a look at it. It's a very user-friendly app. And um, Instacart, we actually use at home. You know, you just go online and order groceries that you think you want, commodities, and they deliver them to your house. Never had an issue, and I would really tell you it's a it's a very convenient way to do some shopping. In any case, you know we have uh, let you know about a little bit more about them and how you can take advantage of special offers that we have set aside for you. In any case, I want to just talk to you quickly about Frank Smith and Tony Sparks. They were at the inception of this um, Phantom Rescue, and the thing I do want to remind everyone, and I speak to this every day, we hear about the trafficking, sex trafficking at the borders. It is apparently quite a problem on the lands of the indigenous people, and we're finding out not only does it exist there and at the borders in the country in general, but sometimes families are participating in it for a myriad of reasons. Today, we have a gentleman by the name of Taras Kuzio. We've had him on before. Uh, He's highly intelligent and and incredibly well-versed in Russia and the Ukraine, and as you know, we have a very high tension rate right now at the, at the border of the Ukraine based on the fact that Russia, under Putin's direction, is posturing with hundreds of thousands of troops. I don't know if it's hundreds of thousands, but I think it's upward to about 180,000. We're listening to the rhetoric coming out of the, the White House where we're going to support the Ukraine, which I'm not inherently adverse to. Um, When we start speaking about uh, committing 8,500 troops, for example, and putting them in country, which could lend itself to U.S. troops fighting Russian troops, I think we need to have another discussion. Taras, by the way, is a professor of political science. He's written 17 books. He has a Ph.D. in political science with a specialty in the Ukrainian nation building and national identity. Um, I I just want to just say this about this whole issue in the Ukraine. I am, I am hoping that there is a, a massive collaborative response from those that we refer, we refer to as the coalition, that if we're going to put troops there and we're going to dedicate resources and money, that this is being done by others, such as the United Kingdom, France, Germany, although Germany's in a rather tentative situation that I am going to question Mr. Cusio about, and I know he's got the answer and other countries that have skin in the game, so to speak. As as Mr. Kuzio spoke to quite intelligently last time, there are a lot of bordering nations to the Ukraine that this could uh, potentially affect. So without further ado, and listening to me talk about a topic that someone's far better versed in, I'm going to introduce uh, Taras Cuzio, ask him to join us. Taras, you there, sir?
2: Yes, I am, yeah.
1: How are you, my friend? I'm good, good. in yourself? Yeah, no complaints. So, Driving, but... Bar- What's that, sir?
2: Surviving Biden? Recording in progress.
1: Uh, surviving Biden. Biden. Um, Biden. Uh, you know, I don't know what to say in relationship to, to that question. I, I think it's bigger than surviving Biden. I think it's surviving a mindset that's being demonstrated by a political entity that is really kind of, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this to us, but we've pissed caution to the wind at our major cities, at our borders, relationship to our economy, our energies. You know, there's a lot of problems going on here. Uh, in my opinion, perhaps the most damage that's been done is the fact that we're so divided and with so much animosity towards one another today. It seems like if you're of one political affiliation, you all of a sudden can't get along with anybody who's of an opposite political affiliation. It's really These are interesting, interesting times that we're living in, and I know that you're witnessing them as well as I am and others here. so. But I, I, I want to go back to this issue with the Ukraine, which you spoke to very intelligently last time. Sure. And, and we're going to baby step it because I'm sure that there's more now, more interest in people in the Ukraine than there was when we were speaking about it three or four weeks ago. So, Taras, first thing I want to ask you this, sir, if you would just revisit, what is the significance of the Ukraine and its occupation by Russia to the United States. Why are we so invested in this in this concern?
2: Well, there are a number of factors. I mean, on a basic level, Ukraine is a democracy. It was invited to Biden's December uh, Democracy Summit. So therefore, there is um, a longstanding U.S. policy going back to Ronald Reagan when he founded the National Endowment for Democracy, but probably even earlier, that the US is a, a country that supports democracies around the world and promotes democracy around the world. I mean that's the whole purpose of National Endowment for Democracy, uh, National Democratic Institute, International Republican Institute and and many other uh bodies in Washington. Uh, secondly, Ukraine is 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 on the geopolitical fault line. I mean it Ukraine's Western border borders for NATO and EU members. Therefore, you can't isolate a kind of a conflict or a hot war inside Ukraine from its potentially spilling over um, into into NATO members. And of course, the US is the biggest member of NATO, which has 30 members. Um, And thirdly, um, this conflict, if it if it escalated into a full-scale war, could have potentially very serious ramifications. I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I could and I when I say that this is very similar in in some ways to um the Cuban Missile Crisis, 1961, where there's a kind of a chicken, you know, chicken sort of uh Game being played between both sides, you know who's going to blink first, as it were, and and Russia is threatening all-out war in the 21st century, which is incredible anyway, um, and that could potentially escalate into World War III. So the U.S. and its allies in Europe is trying to use diplomacy in various different ways. To prevent that happening. So the US has many interests here um, energy, dip- diplomatic, um, membership of NATO, long standing links to the European Union, um, long standing support for the international system that was put in place after World War II, where we hoped there would be no more wars. I mean, we thought that after World War I, but now, you know, after World War II, we thought that. So-
1: I want to I ask you a question, if I may, Taras. So, um, this is just my opinion, not factually based. I'm, I, uh, I have this opinion based on, I would say, my travels, instincts, intuitions, and mm-hmm. assessing people. Am I incorrect in saying that if Putin had his way, we would have the USSR again? Is that a fair statement?
2: Yes, to a, to a great extent. This is a very angry old man who has not overcome his depression about the disintegration of the Soviet Union. And this is a product of, A, he has a KGB background. I mean, the KGP was the Gestapo of the Soviet Union. He was an officer. He actually joined the KGB in the 1970s when most people in the USSR were actually ditching communism. They're no longer believing it. He was a true believer. So that's one reason. And secondly, because Russian and Soviet identity was one and the same thing. There wasn't really a, a differentiation between the two. In Moscow, there was just Soviet uh, institutions. There weren't any Republican uh, for, the, for Russia, for the Russian region. So therefore, Russia inherited the Soviet seat to the United Nations, for example. United Nations Security Council. Um, And and because of that, Putin is as much a Soviet leader as he is a Russian leader.
1: I just want to ask you this also. So um, we have four bordering countries that are NATO participants. There are other countries that are contiguous to the Ukraine that are not NATO members. Is that a correct statement, sir?
2: Well, of course, yes. I mean, we we have um, Belarus to the north of Ukraine, which has a crazy leader, um, he's a self-declared president because he lost the elections two years ago, but instituted massive repression to keep himself in power. Um, literally, he has a thousand political prisoners. He's threatened to join Russia in any potential invasion of Ukraine. To the West, um, primarily to the West and the kind of Southwest, it's NATO and EU members, so therefore allies of the U.S., Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania. Now slightly to the northwest of Ukraine, not bordering but to the northwest, um, but bordering that crazy country, Belarus run by this wacko, Lukashenko, um, you have the three Baltic states, which have a you know they have a a, a certain uh, place in American memory because um, um, many countries in the West believe that we let them down. we allowed, Hitler and Stalin to take them over, and then they were kind of locked away for 60, 70 years under communism. Um, and they're members of NATO as well. Um, so if Ukraine was to potentially go down in, a, in an invasion, you know, if if Russia really launched a full-scale invasion, then the next two big targets are literally the three Baltic states, because they're quite small, um, probably six million population between the three of them, and a country we haven't really talked about, but Taiwan. China is looking at how the US and the West uh, deals with this crisis, because then it will determine how it deals with Taiwan. R- the way Russia looks at Ukraine and China looks in exactly the same way as Taiwan, both Russia and China see these two places, Ukraine, Taiwan, as renegade parts of the so-called homeland. Um, and that has massive implications for the U.S., more so with Taiwan than Ukraine in many ways, because you, the U.S. has a longstanding, um, it's been around for decades, a security pact with Taiwan, and any potential Chinese invasion of Taiwan brings in the U.S. and brings in Japan. So that is a scary thing. But so China is watching.
1: So the, the, the thing that's quite interesting here is the timing of all these events and the timing of the posturing both of Russia and China. Um, I think it's fair to say, and I'd like you to correct me if I'm wrong, is that they've made an assessment of our leadership here. And I think Mm -hmm. that they were far more concerned with crossing lines with the prior administration than this administration because you can only listen to the rhetoric being directed towards the president, which is counterproductive. You know, we have two – we actually have four adversaries to be more concerned about, right? Russia, China, North Korea, Iran. And they're all watching the United States and how we're addressing and quantifying our own leadership, which is giving them – an insight as to how vulnerable we are, right? And as I've always sure. said before, there's yeah. nothing a country outside this border can do that we're not doing to ourselves. I, I want to go back to the statement you made about potential World War III with Russia. Is that something that, that he, is going to really serve them long term? And, and what, what will be, give me a vision of World War III. I mean, we're not talking about intercontinental ballistic missiles, hopefully.
2: No, we're not. But Russia is just a few days ago, Putin did threaten that if Ukraine was brought into NATO and then this led to Ukraine trying to take back Crimea, which was occupied by Russia eight years ago, then Russia would would threaten to use nuclear weapons. So Russia, not the US, where where are they going
1: to But to to us, not to interrupt you, sorry, I apologize. Where where are they going to use these weapons? Who are they going to use them on?
2: Well, I'm sure it's not going to be on Brighton Beach because many of their fellow countrymen live there. A lot of um, them left,
1: though, by the way, but go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they moved to Manhattan. Um,
2: well, okay. Well, because they got wealthy, right? They, they moved At up. Six, they
1: found a place to be. Go ahead, Taraz. I'm sorry. Right. sorry. <laughs>
2: um, you know, um, you, we're trying to be rational with a very irrational guy. I mean, nationalism and this kind of aggression usually comes from the heart, not from the rational, pragmatic head, as it were. And, and Putin is, is very emotional about these about these issues. He, he's not really talking rationally. What I'm saying is that, um, let's have a scenario. Russia invades Ukraine. I'm still a bit cautious about whether that will ever happen, like a full-scale invasion, right? Because Ukraine is just a very big place um, and it has a big army. So, you know, this is not like a little place you can knock over. If Russia invades and there's a prolonged like uh, guerrilla warfare like in Afghanistan in the 80s, then there's no question the U.S., Britain, key NATO members are going to start supporting Ukraine covertly. So then it becomes very fuzzy, you know, where is the border between NATO and non-NATO? Because it's going to be in the U.S. interests to make sure that that war that's taking place in Ukraine between, say, Ukraine guerrilla forces and Russian occupation forces doesn't spill over westwards Um, and the the U.S. would inevitably have to send more troops there, U.S. Special Forces would be involved. Britain already three or four days ago sent in 100 SAS Special Forces to keep uh, the training programs for Ukrainian Special Forces. So there's already things happening in the background. Uh, U.S., Britain and other countries are helping Ukraine against cyber warfare from Russia. You guys have have been hit by Russian cyber warfare as well for many years. Um, You're right that guys like the Russian and Chinese leaders keep looking out for signals. How do Western leaders look?
1: I want to hold you right there. We're going to go to a break. And we're going to come back and we're going to speak to your your perception of how they're looking at Western leaders. This is Between the Lines. My name is Lou Palumbo. You can find us, by the way, at BetweenTheLines.tv. We're on uh, Apple, Spotify, YouTube. We're going to be right back, guys. Stay with us, please.
0: Have you ever thought about doing your own podcast and found the process confusing and overwhelming? Well, let Studio Podcast Suites of Jacksonville make it easy for you. They have everything you need to record, produce, and distribute a professional-sounding podcast. Studio Podcast Suites is Jacksonville's only five-star rated professional podcast studio rental and podcast service company. Studio Podcast Suites provides two clean and comfortable state-of-the-art recording suites for both audio and video podcast recording. They offer a complete menu of podcast services, including editing, podcast art, hosting, video, consulting, and more. Studio Podcast Suites. Jacksonville's premier professional podcast studio recording and podcast service company. Book your studio today at studiopodcastsuites.com. That's Studio Podcast Suites, S-U-I-T-E-S dot com. Studio Podcast Suites.
1: We're back and we have with us today a brilliant political scientific scientific mind in the area of Ukraine and Russia, Taras Kuzio. And where we left off was, uh, um, Taras was uh, making an assessment of how our adversaries are looking at Western leaders. So I'd like you to pick up where you left off, if you don't mind, Taras, regarding that perception.
2: Um, They, they, both Russian and Chinese leaders, think that the West is in decline. They think the US is in decline, it's a declining power. Um and um they only respect strength, they don't respect weakness. Of course, Biden looks weak. There's simply no no debate. I mean, I'm sure there are many Democrats who would probably say the same thing. Um, this I mean, even compared to a former Democratic leader like Bill Clinton, um, he 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 looks weak. And that perception deepened in particular after the terrible withdrawal from Afghanistan, chaotic withdrawal. I mean, all of these things send signals to Russian and Chinese leaders that maybe we can probe here, we can push here, we can pull the wool over their eyes, this, that, and the other, and we won't get pushback. Um, now, um, so they look at that. Yes, um, the four countries you mentioned, Russia, China, uh, North Korea, Iran – I mean, North Korea is just a Chinese satellite. So I mean, I'm not sure we need to even discuss it separately. I mean, it is a it, its leaders are dependent completely on on China for economics and for for military purposes. Um, in terms of Iran, Iran, yes, I, mean, I think there's where um I think the previous President Donald Trump was right was that um, you can't disassociate the nuclear agreement with Iran from Iran's actions as a destabilizing force throughout the greater Middle East. I mean Iran's involved in a whole range of different countries as a destabilizer. I mean it uses its proxy forces in at least four or five countries in the Middle East and and it's always trying to battle. Um, US interests. Now the big interest big similarity here is that two countries in the world, are threatened with destruction. Israel by Iran. I mean, we we know about that. That's more well known. But Ukraine by Russia. Russian leaders openly say there is no Ukraine. And this whole crisis is about them denying the fact that Ukraine is a separate country. And so Russia wants to remove Ukraine from the map or make it into some kind of, you know, colonial control country.
1: Taras, I want to ask you this, if I may, sir. Um, mm-hmm. is it your opinion that, for example, Putin and Xi were more fearful of Trump? Is that a fair yes. statement?
2: Yes, I think they were. Um, and I and think in, I in, never, in what
1: capacity? Just elaborate on that, not yeah. just the fact that we're fearful, but why? What's well, what's the potential I mean, it, it of was,
2: Trump? It was, it was always, um, I think in 2016, there was no question that Russia favored, you know, every every foreign country has an as a viewpoint about who who they would like to see elected in the US. That's not unusual. Um, that's not the first time 2016. I never believed that Trump was some kind of um Russian agent. Um, th- th- that was that was ridiculous. The idea that somehow you know 20 30 years ago he he was kind of brought on board by the KGB is is just simply ludicrous. Um yes, Russia was um was more favorable to Trump winning in 2016. Not so much because of Trump, because Putin had a personal dislike for Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State um, and she supported protests in, in Moscow. So um, the, the tr- Trump um, Trump um, it was seen as somebody who was a, str- a more stronger um, defender of US national interests, economic, trade, you know, co- uh, commercial, uh, military, um, foreign policy-wise.
1: Does uh, Durash, Trump, I mean, Not to course, interrupt you, sir, it's, but it's
2: theme around him.
1: does does the term dangerous in perception, their perception of Trump apply? In other words, you know, we talk about use of nuclear weapons, and, and I don't say this lightheartedly, but I don't think Donald Trump would have hesitated if you had given him cause, unlike we experienced um, after 9-11, you know. People, well, are, people are well, going to disagree. Good. Let me finish what I was about to say, sir, if I may. After 9-11, there was a lot of discussion about tactical nuclear strikes in the Middle East. You know, and I'm not a real proponent of violence. To the contrary, based on my background and upbringing and having so much violence I've been exposed to as a child fighting every day and then law enforcement and private security, I have a real adversity to it, but I know its value. You know, perhaps um, they were fearful of him because of that mindset he has that he wouldn't hesitate to use a tactical nuclear device. Are you of that same opinion, potentially?
2: Well, the, yes, to a certain degree, yes. But it, but again, you can't take Trump in isolation. Trump is, of course, compared to Obama, and Obama will remember his red lines were a joke. And, and, I'm, and I'm because aware. Of, yeah, yeah, well, because of that, that sent a signal everywhere Um, in the Middle East, Ukraine, and elsewhere in Europe, that you know, the U.S. leaders are potentially weak. Uh, in Ukraine, for example, if the crisis we're talking about your crisis in Ukraine, in Ukraine, Obama's name is dirt, it's literally dirt because he vetoed the sending of military equipment to Ukraine, which Trump did not. I mean, you know, that so let's get this right. Obama did Obama vetoed that and um, and so I don't think that Trump in that sense is going to have the weakness uh, perception of weakness and these red lines like Obama had so when Trump came there was initially I think a shock about his you know his nationalism his is is overt nationalism but that is not that unusual in the in the world we see I mean there are many countries in Europe led led by by people with with shall we say strong patriotic if you want to call it that or nationalistic views I mean that's we have that in Britain as well um with brexit so perception is very important and the perception is I think that of the last four or so leaders of the u s um i I would say. The strongest of those was Bill Clinton and uh, Donald Trump. Um, the two weakest have been Obama and Biden.
1: Interesting. You know, it, I I think you're familiar with a comment that was made probably two or three weeks ago by President Biden about um, tolerating a slight incursion might not be a problem. You know, mm-hmm. you're familiar with this comment.
3: And, yeah, yeah, I, and sure. I think
1: that yeah. comment was rather precipitous you know, as far as Mr. Putin goes. But, you know, at the end of the day, you pointed out something in the prior discussion that we had that this invasion of the Ukraine is going to be quite taxing for Putin and Russia. Is that a fair statement, sir? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, so, you know, my, my question is, are they going to do this like half-heartedly or, you know, what's the exercise? I mean, is part of something better than all of nothing? I mean, what what are they thinking about here? I mean, and at the end of the day, is Putin's thinking so twisted that he's prepared to escalate into potentially a third world war over the Ukraine?
2: Uh, well, um, I, I, unlike President Bush, I don't want to get into Putin's soul. Um, so, um, I think there's two two ways to answer this. Let's remember that in this 21st century style warfare, uh, war is not just a uh, Guys fighting it out in the in the trenches or, or military people. There are many other ways that war can be undertaken. And one of those, the US has suffered um, just like Ukraine, cyber warfare. So um, when when um, Western leaders say, Oh, we're going to impose sanctions when Russia does this or that, well, Russia's been doing cyber warfare against Ukraine for eight years. And there's has, and there's been no pushback against that, really. On on the question of Russia's intentions, I don't believe yet that we have reached a stage where there's likely to be a full-scale invasion. And I've said this before, because um, Ukraine is just a big country to swallow. B, it has a third largest army in Europe. And ironically, we can thank Putin, or Ukrainians can thank Putin, because in the last four months, it's been... A lot of countries have sent arms, including the U.S. So, you know, I even joked on Twitter a a week or so ago that maybe Putin's a Ukrainian agent and he's conjured up this just to rearm Ukraine. I mean, I mean, it really... Putin and Russian leaders always uh, do home goals, and that's where you kick the ball in your own net. Um, Finland and Sweden never wanted to join NATO. Now they do, to give you an example. So, um, I. If Putin's not going to do a full-scale invasion, then potentially he's going to launch more sh- smaller incursions. I mean... Yeah, but to us, I,
1: I hear you. But to what answer? What what will he gain with these small incursions? I mean, it, it, will that translate to him ultimately controlling the country? Or is he just... No. You, that's my no. point. So what's the exercise? What's this about?
2: This is where the debate becomes interesting because those... Western experts who are arguing that no, he's going to go for the full thing, the full invasion, because you're right to to point out that only with a full scale invasion can he install a puppet regime. That's what he wants. He wants regime change. He he wants these pro-Western guys out. He wants to install an, an, a, a guy similar to the nut nutcase nut in Belarus, Lukashenko. Um, but that would be just, some, I just don't see how that's possible. I mean, the country is so already in the last eight years become so anti-Russian that and an invasion would make that even more. Um, you would have to impose a massive dictatorship. It's difficult to see how this is possible in the 21st century. So you're right that a small scale intervention or invasion, you know, uh, Biden was really criticized for, for differentiating. There's no difference. Right. If Russians cross the border it's an invasion.
1: You know what I want I want to uh, go to a quick break, Taras, and then I wanna come back and I'm gonna ask you about the economic sanctions and in particular recent development with the administration stating that there would be no pipeline. We're going to come right back, ladies and gentlemen. Stick with us. This is Between the Lines.
3: If you're looking for peace of mind, look no further than Global Elite for your safety. Global Elite Security Force is made up of active and former law enforcement agents. Their force has worked at the federal, state, and local level. They are dedicated to providing the most professional, personal security, and investigative services available in the private sector. With offices nationwide and globally, this footprint gives Global Elite the ability to coordinate protection and security anywhere in the world. Think of Global Elite Protection Services for special events, dignitaries, high-profile net-worth individuals, and the entertainment industry security services offering drones, weapons detection, shot sporting, chem-biodetection, executive protection surveillance, dignitary protection, threat assessment, private investigation, and cybersecurity. They are the experts in intelligence and private protection services. Go to globalelite.com GlobalElite.us.com. That's GlobalElite.us.com to engage Global Elite.
1: We're back, ladies and gentlemen. With us today is uh, Mr. Taras Kuzio. He's a political science genius. Written 17 books, has a Ph.D. in political science, and a specialty in the Ukrainian nation-building and national identity and we were in discussion and um i was just mentioning prior to the break to uh, mr kuzio that uh the recent uh, exchange verbally the past uh 24 hours i would say is that if putin invades the ukraine there will be no pipeline can you comment on that sir
2: yeah um north stream two was always a mistake um and Again, going back to how the, the Western media portrayed Donald Trump, um, it's ironic that Trump was always uh, criticized by the media for being allegedly the person that was undermining Western unity, uh, you know, undermining NATO and Western unity. It's not, that's not true. Germany is the country that's done that. Germany has done that by supporting Nord Stream 2. None of Germany's neighbors support that pipeline. None of them. And the problem with the gas pipeline isn't just the the fact that you're going to be dependent on on the Kremlin's gas, but you're going to be dependent on corruption. Uh, Putin's biggest export isn't gas, it's corruption. He corrupts Western elites. He buys them. um, And he's bought elites in Germany. And when you do that, you erode the foundations of democracy. People, People start not really having trust in those institutions. So Trump was right to introduce sanctions biden was very wrong to take those sanctions away now biden is saying well if russia invades we're going to bring back the sanctions and but but, be, but but because of his messing around with his policy he can't decide what he wants russia has continued to build the pipeline so it's practically ready to to go into effect
1: yeah, good. let me ask and- you a question to us if i may stop you right there sir so, so if I follow the logic attached to this, um, Biden decides there's no pipeline. How does he prevent the pipeline from continuing? I'm just curious. Like, is he going over there to shut the valve off or what's he doing? If Russia, conti- <laughs> you understand my question? If Russia continues to pursue this and Germany continues to embrace it, how are we stopping the pipeline at this point?
2: Well, you're, you're right. I mean, is it too late to, to impose sanctions to prevent the, the completion of its building? And that's the problem. I don't, I'm not sure it is now, because when Trump imposed sanctions, it was a good time to stop its construction. Then the sanctions were removed by Biden and construction continued. And they, as far as I understand, they've completed the building of it. What if they
1: they turn around to us and say, we don't care that you're stopping the pipeline. We're going to continue building it. Who's someone going to stop them from building the pipeline? Is someone going to stop Germany from receiving the pipeline and the oil that's going to flow through it?
2: No, especially now where you have a a German leader who was a social democrat. And the German social democrats have always traditionally been quite pally with the Russians. The, The Germans have a phrase for this. They call Putin understanders, um, and so yes, you're right that uh, many people, I think, inclu- And you see this in the last couple of days in the media that people are wondering about: is you know, does the US now really have a have the means to stop this, and will the Germans uh, change track? I mean, so it's, it's it's a question mark. And of course, when you have that kind of doubt, the Russians love
1: it. Interesting. I want to ask you another question, if I may, sir, uh, regarding these six Russian warships that are en route to the Black Sea. I gather this is some additional posturing. Is that correct? or?
2: Yeah, sure. It's posturing because it's, it's a potential threat to use these as landing craft to bring, you know, Marines and, uh, and, and tanks onto the beaches. Um, what, I mean, the, To me, the the biggest threat isn't so much the capital city of Kiev, because that's a four million city. Um, It would be very difficult to take over. But the threat is more to Ukraine's coastline, um, the region west of Crimea, so the big port of Odessa. That potentially, you know, like a naval blockade or threat to land marines and and tanks on, on the beaches of Ukraine, that is something more dangerous because um, Russia has, you know, mil- full military control of Crimea now. And with these landing craft, that is further added posturing and potential threats. So that is potentially dangerous. Yes.
1: That's interesting. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I want to just not drag you through this through the rest of the day. Um, I I don't know if you're aware of this, uh, Taras, but I started a talk show on a local uh, Jacksonville radio station. It's got a pretty good reach. It goes to Orlando and um, Charleston and some other areas, and I'm on today live at 5. This would be an incredibly interesting topic for people to understand because it's literally in our news every day. I'm going to Mm -hmm. ask the producers if they could contact you to see if you'd be willing at 5 o'clock to come on. I'd like to go through this again for live listeners so they can understand the scope of this problem and the potentiality of this. Um, I want to ask you this about uh, the, the people in Kiev. Are they apparently, based on the limited reporting we're getting, they appear to be postured to fight as a citizenry. Am I right? Sure,
2: sure. Um, that is, is no doubt about that. And the reasons for that are that the war has been going on for eight years. When you have a war, when you have conflict and bloodshed, when you have 2 million refugees, um, that inevitably leads to a rise in patriotism um, and the changing attitudes of the population. So um, Ukraine has also rebuilt its army over the last eight years. I mean, it does now have the third largest army in Europe. So all of that together has led to um, a re-energization of you know patriotism, and that who the hell is this, is this guy? Who the hell is this bully boy telling us that what how to run our own country? I mean, Ukraine's been independent for thirty years. It's a long time. It's not like it was just just the USSR just ended yesterday. So, so there's no question that they what we have in in Ukraine created. You have the army, the standard armed forces. Then you have the second echelon of what called territorial defense forces. These are forces created in every region, and they're meant to guard important installations like government buildings, uh, power stations, and this kind of thing. And the third would be partisan forces um, led by special forces. Ukraine special forces have been trained up to Delta SAS NATO levels. They're, they're fully, fully up up there with them. And remember, and remember. And one one little point, and remember, and I think what your listeners should should understand is that uh, Ukraine's uh, armed forces are now the best uh, trained or best experienced in fighting Russians. I mean, they've been doing it for eight years. So they, so actually, NATO um, countries like the US um, learn tactics and strategies from the Ukrainians because they've had to face the Russians.
1: Can I ask you about countries like? France, the UK, Italy, you know, we know where Germany's position is on this because they're somewhat compromised. They have a little bit of what we call conflict of interest. Some -hmm. of these other countries, you know, are they expressing similar concern as we are regarding this uh, positioning at the border of the Ukraine?
2: You're always going to get probably two to three groups within NATO. It's 30 members. Um, the the leading countries that have been helping Ukraine with, with military equipment in the last four months have been uh, the US, Britain, the Czech Republic, three Baltic states um, and Poland. Th- those are the main countries. Germany um, refuses to give military equipment to Ukraine. You, you're right that it has a, a conflict of interest. You also have a social democratic um, a government which tends to be quite pally with the Kremlin. France France is always a separate, because in France you have deep-seated anti-Americanism, which translates into pro-Russianism. I mean, it's been it's been like that for decades. It's not there's nothing new. And in the last presidential elections in France in 2017, the four of the four leading candidates, three were pro-Russian. So that you know they want to they they resent. Um, America's presence in Europe, whereas Britain welcomes it. I mean, that's a difference. Um, of the European countries, Britain has led the way. I mean, there's simply no question about that. It's partly an attempt to kind of create, fashion, um, a new foreign policy national identity after Brexit. Um, and so in that sense, Britain has shown itself to be America's best ally in Europe. One of the biggest disappointments is Canada um, because Canada traditionally has strong ties to Ukraine, but you have a complete weakling. You think Biden's weak? Trudeau's even, even worse. Uh, I mean, uh, Justin Trudeau um, is trying to walk in his dad's footsteps, who was prime minister of Canada 30 years ago, but he, but he simply will never do that. Um, and um, uh, Canada has to this day refused to also supply defensive uh, military equipment to Ukraine. And this is all a product of um, this weakling head of the Liberal Party of Canada. You know, you were making country.
1: reference to um, uh, Germany and um, the ver- the very liberal element there. You know, not that this is of any critical importance or relevancy to the Ukraine, but um, it would appear that the German government is actively pursuing some of the preeminent firearms manufacturers in the world. One of them is Sig Sauer, who has a factory in West Germany, who, in my opinion, have engineered some of the finest firearms man man has used, along with H&K, Heckler & Koch. Um, There seems to be this push there to shut them down. I don't know if you're aware of that, but the West German factory of Sig Arms is closed permanently as a result of the political pressure. It's quite interesting.
2: I didn't know that but what I what, what has been going around social media is that Germany is in the top 5 arms exporters in the world and Germany sends a lot of arms to countries which are, are not democracies like Egypt and in the Middle East so you have this complete hypocrisy that on the one hand it's okay for Germany to send arms to countries where their regimes repress their Populations with those arms, but it's not okay send arms to Ukraine to defend itself against a foreign aggressor. Um, so the, so I think um, Germany's uh, traditional pro-Russianism or wanting to do deals with the Kremlin, um, you know, the whole Nord Stream 2 um, fiasco came out, came about because Germany closed down nuclear power, is also against coal, so it had to go the way of Russian gas. I mean, that's where it all boils down to.
1: What I Um, I like is that we shut our pipelines down, but we open theirs up, you know. It, 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 would, it would appear. I, I'm going to let you wrap up for the day because I've consumed an immense amount of your time. Um, we're going to go to a break, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to come right back. And then I just want to have one final exchange with Taraz Cusio. Um, we'll be right with you. Stick with us.
0: Have you ever thought about doing your own podcast and found the process confusing and overwhelming? Well, let Studio Podcast Suites of Jacksonville make it easy for you. They have everything you need to record, produce, and distribute a professional-sounding podcast studio podcast suites is jacksonville's only five-star rated professional podcast studio rental and podcast service company studio podcast suites provides two clean and comfortable state-of-the-art recording suites for both audio and video podcast recording they offer a complete menu of podcast services including editing podcast art hosting video consulting and more studio podcast suites Jacksonville's premier professional podcast studio recording and podcast service company. Book your studio today at studiopodcastsuites.com. That's studiopodcastsuites, S-U-I-T-E-S dot com.
1: Studio Podcast Suites. We're back. We have this gentleman with us today, Taras Cusio, political scientist, PhD in political science as a matter of fact written 17 books it goes on and on about his, his literacy in the area of the Ukraine and Russia and, and um, I think you'll find this mutually I shouldn't say entertaining because there's nothing funny about it but we're listening to people in the United States promote a green deal which translates to shutting down our pipelines which means we're concerned about the ecology I got, I got the memo on this one But in the next breath, we're opening up pipelines in foreign countries. I guess we're only concerned about the ecology in the United States. This isn't a global interest. You know, I am, once again, thoroughly confused, as I am with masks on children and any number of (laughs) issues, vaccines and all of the rhetoric and the inconsistency in the thinking process here in America. But I I think you might have something to say about that as well. Am I correct? (laughs) Correct. And then I'm going to let you go, sir.
2: Sure. Well, well, the irony is is that the so-called progressive left of the Democratic Party, which is against all of these things you just talked about um, on environmental grounds, at the same time, what they ignore is that the the main political force in Germany against Nord Stream 2 and that gas pipeline are the German Greens. The German Greens are the most anti-Putin party in Germany. For on 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 the basis of human rights, being abused in Russia, you know, the Russia is basically nearly a fascist regime. It's a dictatorship, um, and also they are opposed to this. they entirely opposed to this pipeline. So if America's so-called progressive left looked to Germany's progressive left, they'd have a different viewpoint, maybe. <laughs> I mean, but um, but there you are. They don't. Wow. They don't.
1: Taras, we're going to wrap it for today. I cannot thank you enough. I do want to warn you, we're bringing you back because this issue in the Ukraine ain't over yet. And I think no, this, it's not over I, yet. Absolutely. And, I think there's going to be a lot more to say about this.
2: And watch the date, February 20th. That's when the Chinese Olympics end. Um, that's when things what, could heat
1: up. We're, we're well aware that's been alluded to in the media that he's only holding back until the Olympics end. And then he's over there, I think, holding hands with... Uh, the president yeah, of China, younger
2: I, brother. He's the younger brother, kind
1: of. This is kind of interesting. Thank you so much for your time today, Taras. And please know we're Thank going you. to be calling upon you. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope that you found um, the information that was provided by this gentleman, Taras Kuzio, um, thought provoking. You know, this um, this issue with the Ukraine is one that is, I would say, somewhat pressing. And as he mentioned, and I think has become common knowledge. Um, our adversaries are watching our response. The twentieth of February should be an interesting date because that is the conclusion, as Taras mentioned, of the Olympics in China, and we might see an escalation or a change in posture by Putin, and we may very well see one in China as as far as Taiwan goes. Um, you know, ultimately, you know we're we're, we're we're playing with fire to say it, uh, conservatively. you know the decisions we make or the decisions we do not make moving forward are going to once again intersect with the lives of our children. It doesn't sound like they will, but they do. You know the last thing that we need to be very candid with you, is to send more troops into foreign countries. I have been around and witnessed Vietnam. Um, what took place in Iraq in the early 90s and then after the Trade Center buildings came down in Iraq and Afghanistan and even in Pakistan. You know, I, I am vehemently adverse to sending American troops into foreign countries, especially since we have technology that really precludes the necessity of sending our troops. To tell you, I visited Fort Bragg in North Carolina. There was a place there called Camp Hero, and I was down in South Carolina at the University of South Carolina. This was a couple of years ago. And I was trying to help provide them some guidance regarding uh, creating a building that returning veterans could use to further their education, which translates to reassimilating into the culture after serving this country. In Fort Bragg, I can only say it was disturbing to see the byproduct of war. One young man, Built like a linebacker, I might know, both legs missing at the hips and his left arm. Another young gentleman, his face was basically scorched scorched off, and he had two prosthetics or prostheses, whichever you want to call them, for arms. I mean, this was, you know, you, you are emotionally battered with this. The notion of sending our children to foreign countries to take up the battle for others, to me, is just an obsolete notion. We seem to be very cavalier as elected officials of sending children, which is what they are at 18 and 19 years old. You can call them whatever you want. This is not about their bravery, their honor, their integrity, their commitment. It, we're dripping in it, by the way, down in, down in the South. It, we, that we reek of service down here and commitment and love of this country. We understand the sacrifices that are made. I'm just looking at the necessity. You know, as I've gotten older, You know, my brain has changed and quite candidly, I would strongly suggest never try to, you know, uh, encroach on our borders, although we're having it happen on a daily basis on our southern borders, which is another tangential discussion, perhaps for another day. But this notion of sending our children abroad has to stop. They're very cavalier when they say we're going to send another 8,500 troops. That's just what a mother and father want to hear you know we want to send 8500 more children or 3500 more children into the ukraine i say give the ukraine every bit of technology they could possibly need as we did by the way in afghanistan starting around 1979 1980 armed and funded the mujahideen which included bin laden by the way gave them stinger missiles helped them shoot down the russian helicopters etc but no more of our ch- our children in these foreign countries. And that doesn't mean I don't love this country, but there has to be some lines in the sand. If you step onto the border, I guarantee you I will lead the charge. I'm I'm half crazy when it comes to these things. As far as my kids going, simply not a discussion. Um, I don't know what direction this is ultimately going to go. I think uh, Taras Kuzio uh, alluded to almost waiting for who's going to blink first, you know, I think it's conservative in saying that they've made an assessment and determined that there is a weakness in this leadership and this administration. That's evidenced by the fact that he didn't even entertain this in the four years prior under Trump. And I'm not going to speak like I'm a Trump supporter. It's academic, whether I am or I am not, you know, what he was able to establish as far as. Us being a strong foreign power to these nations speaks for itself. He brought Kim Jong-un to the table twice, which was unprecedented by any other prior administration. I think he established some type of dialogue with China where he they understood that we would not be receptive to anything hinky in Taiwan. That's all changed. I don't know what to say, folks, except, you know, this is our country and I do not like the politics, and I do not like to become political, but I'm going to say this in closing for the show today. I am gravely concerned for the Democratic Party. It is almost unrecognizable. I hope I hear from you guys not, not too, in the not-too-distant future. Please feel free to call in. Producers can supply the number or send me an email. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Lou Palumbo. This has been Between the Lines.